What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and we are continuing Student Loan Month talking all about PSLF and what you should do, should you do it or not do it. And then we're also going to get in a little bit of public policy and just what we think is going to happen with PSLF and the future of that. There's no clickbaity headlines. We're not going to tell you, oh, 99% of you are going to get rejected. No, we're a little more positive on the show here. Before we go further into the show, this week's show is sponsored by Michael Relvis, a CFP professional and insurance agent committed to helping physicians nationwide with their term life and disability insurance needs. He provides an objective, transparent, and education-focused process that aims to help physicians make prudent decisions and avoid overcomplicating things. He exclusively offers own occupation disability insurance policies for residents, fellows, and attendings. I know he'd be happy to help you with whatever your needs are. You can find Michael at drpodcastnetwork.com slash mrinsurance, or you can contact him at 800-817-4522. And you will know Michael because he's a regular here on the show He comes in and does a lot of our financial malpractice segments. We've talked about insurance. We've referred hundreds of people to Michael. Absolutely love Michael. Trust Michael. And he's a great guy. So check him out. The link is in the description of the show in case you have any term or disability insurance needs. All right, everyone, let's jump in and nerd out on PSLF. Joy, welcome back on the show. Hey, Ryan. How's it going? It's going well. I'm excited that you're here nerding out on PSLF. Gosh, what is PSLF? Public Service Loan Forgiveness. Oh, Public Service Loan Forgiveness. I can tell you know what you're talking about because if you don't, you have it like all backwards and sideways. Yeah, here's the deal. Most people that have been listening to the show for any length of time know a decent amount about PSLF because we talk about, we reference it, we hint at it. I always keep trying to reassure everyone that just because those terrible headlines are there to get your clicks and they are all paid for clicks. And we know that negativity in the media is what gets those views and those is what sells, right? Don't believe the hype. Don't go after it. Don't get worried. Don't get panicked. We've had people that have reached out saying, Hey, I don't think this, I saw this article. I don't think it's going to happen. So I'm going to refinance. I'm like, no, please don't do that. So we are going to set the record straight. We are going to talk through what it is, how it works. And then uh, I think you and I can just have a good conversation around what we're hearing, what we're seeing. Not all of it's going to come true. Not all of it's factual. If we knew what was going to happen and we were fortune tellers, we would be, as a joke, even with investments, we'd be sitting on the beach with our Mai Tais or whatever drink of choice could be, nice beer, would be retired because we would have made so much money knowing what the market was going to do. So that's not the case. You'd still probably be helping people just for free, probably, Ryan. I would have a very hard time turning off the podcast just because I get so many emails and so much help is what we're giving people. And it's a passion project. So, I mean, what I do instead of other fun activities that normal humans do. So (laughs) this will be cool. All right. So with PSLF, why don't you go give just a quick overview and then let's talk about what are the requirements of PSLF? Sounds great. So PSLF started back in 2007. Yikes, the whole long time ago. And it was built to encourage people to work for the public and nonprofit sectors. It's very simple. It requires 120 on-time monthly qualifying payments while you're working for a qualified employer with the right kind of loans on the right kind of repayment plan. Yep. So the right kind of loans would be direct loans. And the way I joke about it, I think it's the easiest way is you open up your statement. If it says direct on your loan, then you have a direct loan. Could be that too. I don't know. I'm used to looking at the text files too. So like my eyes go cross-eyed when I start looking at those. If you don't know what that is, 
kind of consider you fortunate that you don't have to look at thousands of lines of code and how they print out basically what's going on with everything on your student debt. But you might also want to be familiar with it if you are going for PSLF and you have hundreds of thousands of dollars in loan. But I won't put that pressure in. That's kind of like talking spreadsheets. And as soon as I say that or a budget, I know that immediately people... Oh, they're turning off the radio. Stop, stop. Don't do that. That's why we call it the dreaded B word and I don't actually say the word. And then I feel like it's kind of like the Voldemort in Harry Potter. He who must not be named, right? You know, seriously, you must look at least once and just make sure you have direct loans. Please make sure. Can I tell you a little story here? Of course. So my saddest story about this was I got a call from a chief medical officer who wanted me just to look at his loans. We were working on a bigger project for all of the doctors in his health system. So I said, sure, I'd be happy to look at your loans. Send me over your list of loans. Let's just look. He was thrilled because he was only 18 months away from forgiveness. All right. He had this big spreadsheet. He'd been keeping track of every date and every amount that he'd paid. He'd never been late. He was just so proud. And he had kids that were 15 and 16 years old. And he really wanted to be like pushing all of that student loan payment money over to their college planning. And so I said, sure, just send it over. I opened up the email and my stomach just hit the floor because he didn't have direct loans. He had those older FFEL loans and no one had ever told him. And he kept saying to me over and over, but nobody ever told me. No one ever told me. And he still owed 150000 There are a lot of things you can fix in the public service loan forgiveness process world, but that is one that you cannot fix. So that was a tough call. He's ended up being our best referrer because he doesn't want anybody else to ever have to say, oh, but nobody ever told me about this. That's been good. But yeah, at least once, please just open up that statement and check. Oh, that's heartbreaking. I knew where that was going, but that's terrible. Yes, if you have the fell loans, please, if you're a little bit older of a borrower, not a brand new attending, you might have those and- Please, 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 please look at your loans. The qualifying payments, so it's 120 payments or 10 years, but they don't have to be consecutive. So just a heads up on that. A lot of people actually get that confused for some reason. Thinking like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do, or maybe I take this job and therefore I'm never going to be able to do PSLF. It's not always the case. But if you are not going to go into a private public service for a considerable length of time, then it might make sense. Yeah, totally. And that employment needs to be full-time, so at least 30 hours a week or full-time as defined by your employer. I know every physician just started chuckling when you said needs to be full-time at least 30 hours a week. Yeah, it's like, great, that's Wednesday. (laughs) Right, but sometimes, like an employer might consider 0.8 FTE as full-time, and that can be great for folks. Other times, they don't, but you've got to check that out if you're looking to do some negotiating around your contract around FTEs. Very important question to ask a potential employer. Very, very, very important. We've seen several contracts come through where where 0.7, they were trying to do that and they weren't going to consider it. And they had student debt and we're like, nope, work more because this is going to make you ineligible. So please don't make that mistake. We're going to be talking all about contracts next month in July, just a heads up. And the person who helped us do all of that is our guest for that month. So it'll be good, but please don't make that mistake if you're out there listening and thinking that, well, it's more than 30 hours, so I'm good. Make sure you check the contract and everything else. You know, a qualified employer is a 501c3 entity. And how do they check that? How do they make sure if they're not employed by a group versus that's then brought into the 501c3? There's all sorts of little nuances. So what are maybe some tips or tricks they could figure out? Hey, if I take that job or, hey, I've got this employer, but I haven't certified yet, am I in the right spot? Great question. One of the biggest giveaways is, are you employed directly by the organization or are you a 1099? If you get a 1099 at the end of the year with your compensation on it, 
then you are not directly employed by the health system and you are not qualifying for public service loan forgiveness. So that's a pretty easy way to know. The other way, there's a nonprofit search tool on the IRS website. And so that's a really easy place to go to either enter the federal employer identification number or the name and address of name and city of the potential employer. But if it pops up there, totally it is a nonprofit organization. So those are a couple of different tips around finding out. And you know, feel free to call me. <laughs> Shoot an email to us. We'll look it up for you. We're happy to do that. You can reach out to her at financialresidency.com slash navigate. If you can't figure it out or you want the easier, like that, what is that Staples commercial? It's like the easy button. There you go. What it is? You like their easy button. I love it. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. Sometimes people call us the wizard, but I like that. The easy button. Easy button. You do things often enough, it does become easy, right? It's easy for us. Yeah. It was 10,000 times and that's how you end up mastering something. I feel like we're, <laughs> we're about getting there. So then PSLF is for them. They like it. They go through this and they're going to make all their payments. And then at the end of the 120 payments, anything that's left there is going to be forgiven and there's no tax bomb. If you're going for like pay is one of the income driven repayment options and it's going to stick you out a couple decades. And when that is done, you will have a tax bomb. PSLF does not have that. So I want to make sure that is the case. And we could talk in a little bit about policy and how they might change or if they change that and what we're at least hearing or seeing. But then in order to tell the servicer that you want to go for PSLF, what do they do? Got to fill out that form. It's called the PSLF Employment Certification Form. And it's very easy to do. And I have just started recently to recommend people use the PSLF help tool on studentaid.gov. In the past, a lot of folks just found it easier to find the form off Google and, you know, fill it out and send it in. And that is a little easier in terms of one fewer step. However, there is a new process that's happening over at FedLoans where they're needing to either pre-verify that an employment qualifies for public service loan forgiveness, or if the pre-verification doesn't happen, they are manually verifying and we have folks that are in the manual verification for over five months now, some of whom have actually like they're in the application stage. And so like they're ready to have this big loan forgiven and they're just waiting for the technicality of their employer to be considered verified employment, even though it's totally been verified by other sources. So yeah, so I do recommend you use the PSLF help tool and the best way to do that when you open up the tool, everything will self-populate for you. And then on page two, there's a place to put the employer's EIN number. You can find that on your W-2 or you can ask the HR department, pop that in there. And then if your employer is pre-verified, their name and address will just be automatically generated on the form. Some people run into a problem here because they might look at that name and say, oh, that's not really the name of my employer or the name like on my paycheck or the name on my name tag is different. Doesn't matter. If you have the correct EIN number and if the name is different, that might just be the legal name of your employer. Totally fine if it doesn't match exactly. Same thing for the address. A lot of our employers, they have multiple satellite offices or hospitals or clinics and whatever address or city pops up with that EIN number, just leave that be. Don't try to correct those two fields, please, or it'll cause trouble. Then you submit that to FedLoans and it just goes automatically and then you get a form back and on the bottom right-hand corner, it'll have a verification number. So you actually know that your employer has been pre-verified you take that form or send it into your HR department or the head of your residency program to get the dates filled in and the signatures on the form. Here's a little note, please use a wet signature, not a script typed in signature. It will be one of the many reasons that these forms can be denied. That was a good one. It's one of those that you don't 
think about that until it gets rejected four or five times. And you're like, Hey, maybe we should tell everyone to actually sign it in blue or black ink instead of a digital signature, which we're all getting used to everything digital now, but let's not cause more issues already. FedLoan has enough issues himself. So we don't need to add to that. You mentioned it, but we actually at Physician Wall Services, we have our first client that is getting it this month, going through no. the entire thing. Oh, I'm so happy so for we're you. We're very, very, very excited for them to go through. How much do you think is going to be forgiven? About 290000 Oh, gosh. I'm so happy for them. Yeah, it's a lot of money. And the benefit that they've had due to the forbearance right now is several thousand dollars a month. And that has helped them get out of some other things that they had going on. So, I'm like really excited for them to go through it and it'll be our first one to actually go through. So we're, we're very excited just as a company to go through it, but we're going to see a lot more of that, hopefully fingers crossed. So maybe we could switch a little bit here to some of the public policy stuff. Some of the things that we're hearing or that we're thinking, like I hinted at the beginning, we're seeing all these clickbaity headlines and everyone is saying, Oh, this isn't going to work pre COVID. I guess this is what we were really seeing. This is like kind of the news media around student debt I think COVID has shown us that it's probably here to stay if they were willing to give not just those going for PSLF, they gave the entire country $0 payments and $0 interest. I don't see any reason that they're going to come through and try to change anything. But even the stuff that they're trying to change, it's for truly new borrowers. And that's what I keep trying to say every time I can. It's someone who's never borrowed money from the federal government, not hey, I'm 80 out of 120 payments in. They're not going to change your stuff. But what else are you hearing out there through the grapevine, so to speak? And I don't know if I told you this, but I was really honored to be asked to be in a phone call with the new administration's transition team back in January of this year, talking about so student loans, what we need to be thinking about in terms of policy to the White House. And the comment that I made was that I'm really tired of loan servicing companies not being held accountable over the last many years, just seems that it was biased toward the loan servicing company and biased against the borrower. And I wanted to see that change and get back to the place where there was some like mutual accountability, right? There's this contract, people have these student loans, they're going to pay them back, but they also have an agreement with their loan servicing company and the federal government, basically, you know, that things will be taken care of, that errors won't be made. If errors are made, they'll be corrected, that money will be refunded if necessary, that Qualified payments will be figured out and put back in the qualifying payment column. And what we've started to see now, thankfully, is some of that actually happening. So I don't know if you've logged on to or called Fed Loans recently, but one of their recorded messages now says if you made a payment during the COVID forbearance, you could have a refund of that payment. Never before have we heard like this kind of proactive here, let me show you how to save money. Never from the loan servicing companies. Now that's just automatically happening. So that I'm taking as a really good sign, and I'm hoping that it will continue under this new administration so that we see not just help, but really a new sort of philosophy of how we are providing service to our borrowers. And all the talks I've been given to all the different residency programs this year, I think I've done probably 15. And I probably did 30 last year, just in the last part of the year, maybe 25. And I've got a slide and it says, if you made a payment from March 13th, 2020, until today, you are eligible for a refund. You still get the $0 payment. You still have 0% interest. It still counts towards your qualifying payments, that 120 that you need. Go get your money back. 
right? <laughs> now, if you're going to turn around and in September of 2021, where we think that is when the final payment or $0 payment will exist and October, everyone's going to have this new payment coming out. I'm curious to hear your thought on that. But if you're planning on refinancing and you've been paying down your debt, probably don't go get your money back. You don't want to go have to deal with that headache if you've been paying this whole time and you're going to refinance because the rate's been zero. So it has been all that bad. But if you're going for PSLF and you've been making payments, you can get a lot of money back. I had a a listener email me and go, are you sure? And I'm like, yes, (laughs) call and find out. I don't like calling FedLoan. I'm sure you don't enjoy it that much either, even though you do it quite a bit for clients. I don't enjoy calling it, but call them and you'll hear, which is very different to hear that. And the first time someone had pinged me with that, I was like, what? You sure you heard that correctly? I kind of didn't believe them. But what are your thoughts on basically September rolling around? And as October hits, October 1st, do you think payments are coming due? Again, what's your crystal ball that's probably very cloudy? Mine's broken in the corner, but what is yours telling you? Yeah, totally. I do a little bit of lobbying on the Hill with a group that's preservepslf.com. So if you haven't signed up yet to be an activist on this, please join us. It's a huge coalition of folks that are seeing the value of public service loan forgiveness for our communities. So I'm part of a monthly call that happens and I am a public policy geek. I'm always got my ear to the ground on this and I don't expect that the COVID forbearance will be extended. Just like you said, I think we'd be happy if it was, but we don't hear any talk about that right now. But we are hearing about forgiveness, like 10,000 or 50,000. So I would not be surprised if something like that happens. I don't know when. There's lots of serious things happening in our country and our world right now. But yeah, I, I do imagine that some of that will happen. We have a number of clients, and you probably do too, that are thinking about refinancing, but rates are zero now. And maybe there will be some loan forgiveness from the Biden administration. So maybe I should wait. And we have a number of people that are waiting right now. I think we'll be talking about refinance later. But do you have thoughts about that? And what are you coaching your folks on? Yeah. So about the amount that could be forgiven or not forgiven, I have a feeling that everything will be done for lower income earners and higher income earners will be excluded. Now, Biden is telegraphing a whole bunch of stuff in the other key sectors of our personal finances, like tax, that they deem that 400K is now the wealthy. And anyone below that, things are going to stay as is, right? They've looked at capital gains. They've looked at there's just all sorts of different pieces that they've come in play with that kind of magic number. So if we see forgiveness, if it's at 400K, that's fantastic. A huge amount of physicians are going to be included because they make less than that. And only a few of the higher paying specialists would be excluded. I have a feeling that we're probably looking at sub 100K total income AGI is probably the ones that are going to get forgiveness. And to be real, those are probably the ones that really actually need more of that forgiveness. So if it happens, it's awesome. I'm not hopeful. I'm not banking on it. At least that's what I'm kind of telling everyone. I don't see us come October 1st kicking the can further on down the road on having those payments exist. I think those are going to kick into play. Everyone's getting vaccinated. Things are opening back up. Even California is opening back up. You can kind of say like, this is where at least the policymakers are seeing things. I just don't see it several more months down the road that we're still going to kick the $0 payment down the road. I would agree. That does make me think of something I wanted to mention to our listeners. And that is that if you do have a question to ask Fed loans, whether it's about needing to call for that refund, which is very easy to do, you don't even need to get escalated to a senior rep. It's just the first person that answers that phone can do that for you. And it takes seven to 10 days and your money's right back in the account that it came out of. It does help to know the dates that you've made the payments. 
so that you can actually confirm with them when they look at your account to make sure that those are the right dates. Or if maybe you've got questions about qualifying payments and you know how sometimes your qualifying payments don't line up between your different loan sequences, now is actually a really good time to make this call between now and when payments start again, because hold times are very short because nobody's having a problem about not being able to afford their payments. So they're having much lower call volume. So if that's been something you've been meaning to do and you're like, oh, I should get that done one day, definitely do it before the end of September because we're anticipating that we'll be back to those 20 minute and plus longer call times. So there's a little tip for you. That's a good one. I don't frequently call, so I don't know the wait time. I know that every time I did call prior, it was not even 20 minutes. It was way longer. I would have died for 20 minutes, but hey, if they're sub 20 minutes, now might be the time to give them a call and to talk through it and make sure you got all the right info. Totally. As we end out the show here, thank you so much again for being back on. And I'm excited that you're going to be on a couple more times this month and we're going to continue talking about student debt and anything and everything that they need to know about that. But if they're looking for a little more help, remind them on how they can reach out to you guys and what you guys do. Oh, thanks so much, Ryan. We are here to be your number crunchers. And so please give us a jingle. We always start with a free 15 minute phone call. And we do that because some of you that are listening are really smart because you've been listening to Ryan for a long time. I don't know if that makes them smart or not. They might be like, you've been listening to me for years. You might have a problem. <laughs> you know, and we're seeing actually, let me tell you, about three out of 10 folks that call us for this free 15 minute review are golden. They're perfect. We give them a thumbs up, Ryan. But seven out of 10 actually have something that they've either missed or they didn't hear about it or they didn't know they didn't know. And then our job is to help you figure out what to do about that. We're all about the analysis. We'll crunch your numbers, give you all the different options related to your repayment plan options and exit strategy options for your student loans, and then give you step-by-step direction for how to go about doing that. Avoid some of the common problems. And you can find us through Ryan's website, financialresidency.com slash navigate, or at our website, navigatestudentloans.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. We appreciate having you back. Thank you, Ryan. All right, switching over to our financial malpractice, I have on our regular contributor for insurance, Michael Relvis with MR Insurance. Michael, what's going on? Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me again. All right, blow our minds. No pressure. Blow (laughs) our minds with a financial horror story. I appreciate setting the bar high. So when you're applying for life or disability insurance, this could really go towards both. We don't see it too often within the physician arena. We do still see a little bit of it, though, and that's tobacco use. If you're a cigarette smoker, if you're a smokeless tobacco user, there's really not much that we're going to be able to do to get around that. But if you're an occasional cigar user, so random event, celebratory cigar, once a year, once every three years, whatever it is, it's actually okay. The insurance companies, both for life insurance and disability insurance, are okay with that. Most of them are okay with up to 12 cigars a year. So one a month basically is what they see. The timing of when you do your labs for an insurance application, though, are really critical because although the insurance companies allow you to be a cigar smoker, as long as it's occasional, again, 12 or less a year, although they'll give you non-tobacco rates, they need a negative urine test for nicotine or cotinine is what they test for. And unfortunately, the timing of when you had that cigar could really matter. And it's mostly just important to know going into it because you've got to time this. And we've definitely had plenty of cases, thankfully not too many, but enough to keep this in mind. Once you have a positive nicotine test, there's really not much we can do to go back. So pretty much for a year, 
certain exceptions, I guess, would be allowed. But realistically, if you have a positive nicotine test, even if you tell them I've only had one cigar in the last three years, doesn't matter. You have a positive nicotine test, you're getting tobacco rates for most cases are at least double, if not more than double the super preferred rate. So someone who's looking at a $500 a year premium is now going to be paying over $1,000 just because they had that positive nicotine test. So the horror story is make sure that if you are a occasional cigar user, if you're applying for insurance, it's got to be a few weeks after your last cigar use that you're doing that lab test, that you're providing that urine sample because we need a negative nicotine test. Once it's positive, there's really nothing we can do for about a year. Yeah, that's interesting. I did not realize that they allow you to smoke 12 cigars a year. I'm sitting here also thinking, okay, negative, that makes sense in your testing. What if you are like a real cigar smoker and you're just like, okay, for the next 45 days, I'm just not going to smoke anything. But after that, I'm going to go like a chimney, like I have been. Is there any follow-up? There's not. It's just one of those, like, let's based on... The honor system. That's right. Yep, it's the honor system. So as long as that nicotine test comes back negative, they would never know. But what you put on that application is determining the validity of that policy. So if the person ends up passing away prematurely or becoming disabled, whatever it is, and the insurance company goes back into those medical records and finds that they were a tobacco user, disclosed that they were a consistent cigar or cigarette or smokeless tobacco use or whatever it is, you can bet that there's going to be an issue there at claim just because it's a material misstatement. And not to add on to this one too much, but what if you are clean, you don't smoke anything, do anything, and two years into your policy, you decide to take up vaping? How does that work? Totally okay. Yeah. So the only thing the insurance company can hold you up to is what was right and what was truthful at the time that you completed the application. If you change your mind, that goes towards anything really, taking up skydiving, taking up scuba diving, rock climbing, mountain climbing, any of those hazardous or more dangerous activities, same thing. If it's after the time that the policy is already in place and when you completed the application and when you accepted the policy, it was truthful that you were not a tobacco user or nicotine user, that's all that really matters. They can't do anything about it at that point. Cool. Shows how many nicotine users I actually work with because most physicians aren't. There are some, right? But especially married to a pediatric pulmonologist. Not going to happen. I appreciate you. For anyone who needs term and disability coverage, reach out to Michael at financialresidency.com slash MR insurance. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Hopefully this was helpful. I know talking through PSLF doesn't truly affect everyone, but there is probably someone in your very close network that is going for PSLF. So shoot them the show, let them understand what's going on, get a little update of what it is. You're a little more informed now. So if they do ask you, you can actually tell them what's going on, at least what you think about. And if any of you need help and are looking for some specific student loan analysis, you can reach out to Joy and her team by going to financialresidency.com slash navigate. And before we end, don't forget to reach out to today's sponsor, which is Michael Relvis at MR Insurance. Their goal is to assist physicians in obtaining the most comprehensive coverage available to fit your unique situation. So I know he'll give you excellent quality service. He's a fantastic guy. Great business. Check him out at drpodcastnetwork.com slash MR Insurance. All right, everyone. Have a great week and I will catch you guys on Friday. Cheers. This is for entertainment purposes only. Do not take this as investment advice. My dad is only a fiduciary for his clients. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.